So welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Kind of a, a special day today because uh, this is the final installment uh, of our study of the book of Genesis. We've been cutting up a little bit saying today is the end of the beginning. Uh, and then when we come back, uh, Lord willing, on January the 4th, uh, we will begin the end. We'll study the Revelation. Uh, this is something that um, we have been planning for a while, and um, so we are going to finish uh, what God has to say about the beginning, and then we'll come back and we'll take a look about what he's allowed us to know about the end. So thank you for being here. A couple of notes. It'll be short because we got to get through 49 and 50, but uh, and, and that, that, that shouldn't be a problem today uh, in the time that's allowed. But I want to make you aware, as you know, this Wednesday Bible study started as part of the discipleship strategy that you now find at themanchurch.com. We launched that in 2020, uh, but uh, this Bible study came from us kind of experimenting, uh, trying to figure out a strategy uh, uh, in the Word of God and by praying and, and trying some things that would feature high challenge and high equipping. Uh, and, uh, and this Bible study was one of the small groups that started that. And then we picked up pretty quick uh, some of the things that we need to try to do in 2020. We kind of put this plan together, and we launched it out to the world right in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, so we have been playing catch-up in 21 and 22, but uh, excited today. Uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but we're somewhere – plus 600, probably 600, 620 uh, churches that are doing it all over the country and even around the world in Canada and the Bahamas, and and so it's exciting. But what I want to make you aware in 2023, because this is the last time I get to talk to you uh, uh, before we get back uh, in, the, in the first of the year, the Man Church Conference, uh, this is our first one. We've never done this before. We've partnered with some other people, but we've decided that we will take our uh, you know, teachers. Uh, Andy Blanks will be there. Uh, he's in the room today. Andy, how about you? How about it, buddy? Uh, I'll be doing uh, some sessions. Uh, we also have uh, uh, Rich Wingo, one of our speakers. He'll do a session. And Recap Gray is our guest speaker. Uh, he's uh, he's he's from Philadelphia. He's been uh, you know pastoring uh, other churches around the country now in Orlando, and he'll be coming in as our guest speaker. And you don't want to miss that. Chuck Hooten will be handling uh, praise and worship. Uh, we even have a breakfast that uh, Andy's just been thrilled about. Uh, where some of our leaders will get a chance to uh, be with our team and ask some questions. We'll have people there, uh, you know, Michael Helms from the show, Helmsy, uh, Andy, I'll be there, Les Bradford, who's, you know, with Iron Hill Press, which is our publisher of our curriculum and our resources. And we'll be there to answer some questions and network a little bit with you. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, uh, we'll give you an opportunity with every ticket that's purchased. You get a discount to go to Big Time Entertainment there in the city that is hosting, which is my hometown, Oxford, Alabama, and you can – go out and have some fellowship time with your group before you go back home. So we'll have challenge, we'll have discipling, and we'll have fellowship all in one conference. So if you have not gotten your tickets yet, let me give you a heads up. The ticket price will go up. So when we come back in here and it's the first session of the Revelation, and if we're not sold out, there might be tickets available, but the price will go up. Now we're also about 60% sold out. So if you have not gotten your tickets yet, I would encourage you to do so at themanchurch.com. All the tickets are reserved. That's cool. If you've ever done conferences before, there's always that anxiety of we got to get there to try to get the best seats, and then you go to bed on Friday night. Oh, we got to get up early and get over there so we can stand in line to go in again. 
not not with ours. Uh, it's reserved. Your seats are there. If you need 10 or less, just order them online. If you need more than 10, then call the box office so they can put you together. So that's at themanchurch.com. We are incredibly excited about that. We'll be letting you know about our fourth curriculum. We'll, we'll tell you about it. We'll launch it and reveal it coming up. And then we also will have a new resource for individual men, a 31-day devotional called Transformed. Uh, the subtitle is Embracing uh, death of self and the power of God, and that's a brand new resource that we'll have at the conference as well. So we'd love to see you there. Themanchurch.com has all the information uh, that you need. So let's open up in a word of prayer. We'll be in Genesis 49 and 50 as we wrap up the book of Genesis in our Bible study today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to unpack your word, and I, I can only speak for myself, but but I know I'm not alone based on the feedback I've gotten from the men in the room and from the men and women uh, all over the country and around the world that have talked about what you've done through this study of the beginning, Genesis. Uh, and, Lord, I'm, I'm just so thankful for everything that you have continued to teach me. Uh, and today, Lord, as we finish uh, this uh, incredible book, make sure, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is refining us. May we be, right now, just preparing our, our minds and our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so right now we, we get to ch- chapter 49, and, and Jacob knows that he's now approaching uh, the end of his life. And, and we also know that his new name, Israel, you, you know, Scripture's been teaching us that uh, you know, he, he's called Israel, which is his name, but we also know this new name is, is more than that. It's a nation uh, that, uh, that God is going to bless and is going uh, to establish. And so now we see, which, which, which was standard procedure, uh, in this culture, you will now see a father that knows his earthly death is near, and he's going to bring all of his sons to him, and he will then hand out a blessing, and as we'll see today, or he'll he'll talk about some things that are not so good with some of his sons. Uh, but this is this is th- think about if you had an opportunity, you knew you knew you were going to die, and all your children come to your bedside, and you got all right, everybody get in line, and I'm going to tell you. Um, you know what, what, what you need to know before I die. But in this case, it's also big because God is speaking through Jacob. Uh, you're going to see uh, prophetic words coming from this powerful man of God uh, as he talks about really the future uh, through his sons. So uh, this will be his last will and testament, and he is going to tell them their future uh, as an individual, but more importantly, their future as a tribe. Um, and, and so look at, uh, at verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Now this days to come, underline that if you've got your scripture in front of you. Days to come are latter days. This is, this is said 12 additional times uh, in the Old Testament. And what that is telling us, what God's telling us, through his holy inspired word, is this always had a prophetic meaning. Here comes prophecy, uh, and, th- and that's what that means. So it's usually involving um, a-, a word about the coming Messiah, uh, and we will find it here because when we get to Judah, we're going to hear prophecy about the coming Messiah. So this is in line with how it's normally used. Uh, so now verses 3, uh, and, I'm sorry, in the verses 2, assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel. Notice the shift. 
uh, your father. Listen to me, my new name, and you are going to be the nation. So the first one that's up is the oldest son, Reuben. So here's three and four. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uh, unstable as water. Uh-oh. Uh, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. And then, and I'll talk to you about this, right here he takes a look at the other brothers. He's been talking to Reuben. Have you ever been upset about something and say, and I cannot believe that you did that to me, and then you look at everybody and say, this guy uh, went up to my room and defiled me by sleeping one of my wives, or concubines in, in this culture. And so this is him looking at the other brothers saying, can you believe what Reuben did? And so, and you know, when Reuben did this and he moved on and his, his question is being answered probably, I wonder if Dad ever forgot this. The answer is no. Dad is still upset about this. And so, and so you, you, I, it's a little confusing when you see him. It looks like he's heaping these, these, these praises on him. But understand, the first part, when he's saying, Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, that's what he was supposed to be. By their culture, he's the oldest son. So he is supposed to represent those things. But you see what he said in four, but you didn't. Uh, you're unstable as water. You you shall not have preeminence. See how he corrects it right there? And then he says, because you went up into your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to to, to my couch, he turns around and says, to the brothers. So this is the thing we need to take away because this is what I'd like to challenge the men in this room to do and the men watching wherever you are. And, and, and ladies, I guess it's about people, so it would involve your spiritual walk too. What, what, what we have this dad having to say about his oldest son, he says, I see that you have a flaw in your character. So which one of these sons do you think is most like you? And which one of these sons do we go through it? Be thinking about which one do you most represent? Which one do I most represent? So first of all, he's saying we don't want to be this guy because there's a flaw in your, your character. I find you to be reckless. I find you to be unstable. And due to this, you will no longer excel. And, and, he, and he says because of what you did. Now, if you don't remember what he did, go back to Genesis 35, 22, and you'll see that Moses makes sure we know that Reuben went and slept with one of his dad's women. Uh, these these uh, they, these are wives and concubines, and 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 Reuben went and defiled uh, one of his father's concubines in his father's bed. And uh, and this was a bobo no no uh, when it came to respecting your father. And and this is going now. Does this mean that Reuben cannot be forgiven by God? It doesn't mean that. What it means is, gentlemen, we've been saying it for almost 10 years now, it means sin always matters. It always matters. Can it be forgiven? Yes. But, but does it have earthly repercussions? The day that it doesn't matter anymore is the day that this flesh is dead and we get our glorified body and we stand in the presence of the Lord and he says, behold, I'm making all things new. It's all forgotten now. But, but even though the sin is forgotten to the point that it won't cost us redemption, the earthly repercussions, and I think sometimes we have just forgotten that. You see a lot of people, you know, I used to be one of these, grace abusers that say, yeah, I know I made a mistake, but I still want to be in leadership. I still want to have my role. I don't want anything to happen. 
I mean, we're, we, we're, we've had to deal even within things with the, the manchurch.com. There have been people along the way that are forgiven and, and no grudge held against them. Them, they, and God are fine if they have repented of what they've done, but we've had to make some decisions. They can't be with us anymore. And you say, well, Rick, you're unforgiving. No, I'm not unforgiving. I'm just wise. I've got a man in my life every time it's brought up about him, you know what I say, forgiven but not trusted. Forgiven but not trusted. Uh, because that's something that takes time, and there's some things you may not ever get to do again here on earth if, 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 if it was something uh, that was error. And plus what he's saying is I can't trust you with the role of an older brother. So I, I got to move down. And, you know, we, he's about to move on down. He's going to move through three of them to get to the one he's going to trust again. And so the next person, the next two up is it's Simeon and Levi. And here's what he says about them. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. Oh, my glory be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willingness uh, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is, a, it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Not good for these two. Uh, we, we know what happened here. So, uh, And he says the brothers, they, they, they literally hear, they, they did murders together, and so the, he's putting them together. You know why? Because they share the same flaw. These two are murderers. These two are cruel. These two can't control their anger. Not one of them, both of them. So he said, I'm going to lump y'all together and just let you know, I've already, Reuben has discredited himself. It's supposed to move to y'all. Now y'all discredited yourself. And what he's going to do, he's moving on to Judah, which is prophecy. Okay. So, so you see what he says here. He says, y'all share the same flaw. And he, how, can you imagine hearing this? From, from your father, especially a man of God who, who God has been working with with Jacob and working out all his flaws. And here he is. It's the time for you to be blessed by your dad. God's about to take him into his presence, and he looks at you and says, Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to your company. I'm distancing myself from you too. Wow. And, and, and so he says uh, he, he has just announced a curse on them, which, by the way, in this whole poem we're seeing from Jacob, this will be the strongest condemnation in the poem. Uh, he, he's, it, you remember Noah when he put a curse on his son Ham? This is very similar. A lot of the same language right here in Hebrew. This curse would lead to their tribes being scattered in Israel. Now, now the Levites will be scattered into 48 different cities, meaning they don't, they, they'll have a role— but as far as it be a prominent tribe, they're so scattered they really can't be. Now they'll have a role, okay, the descendants. But uh, but then you and then you get to Simeon, the tribe of Simeon did did get an area uh, inside of Judah. But you find out pretty quick if you go forward in in history, they lost their identity and were eventually just absorbed by Judah. So Reuben, Levi, and Simeon, their tribes will not have a lot of prominence. Uh, and that's what Jacob is talking about. Do, do they have some responsibilities? Yes. Are they, do they exist? Yes. But they won't be prominent. And that's what he is pointing out. Now we get to the biggie. We get to Judah. Now remember, the Scriptures are setting us up for this. Do you remember us talking about 
that wonderful, incredible moment when Judah finally steps up showing true repentance and says, don't do this to my dad. He, he cannot, we cannot have Benjamin be captured or killed. If, if you must hand, and he didn't know it's Joseph at the time, if you must punish us, punish me. So Judah steps in to take the punishment that was due. Who does that sound like? But so that that was the moment you saw Judah being changed and being worthy of being uh, the line of Messiah, and and so this is going this is uh, this is going to be that prophetic word that points to Messiah. So listen to what uh, Jacob says about Judah in verse eight. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Make a note of that. Underline that. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. Underline that. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Underline that. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, underline that, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He was washed in garments in wine, and his vesture is the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. lot going on here. Okay, first of all, it's you can tell what Dad is saying. Judah now moves into the place of leadership. Reuben out, Levi out, Simeon out. Now Judah. Okay, Judah is clearly now in that position. Now he is being praised, but he's also now being worshipped by his brothers in the prophecy that's being handed out, and the tribes will give honor to Judah. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because what's been happening up to this point? Everybody's bowing to Joseph. But what Jacob says, but they're going to bow to Judah. Why? Messiah. Jesus. This is, this is the line that's headed to, to the promised Messiah. Uh, and, and this word praise, the Hebrew word here, is seldom used for humans in the Old Testament. It, it just doesn't happen. So this prophecy is showing that shift from from Joseph receiving praise, and and now we're going to be bowing to Judah. His line is now worthy of praise, and the whole world's going to bow to him, which is Messiah. So and 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 then and then he says, those who oppose Judah will be opposing a lion. You don't want to oppose him. And and Isaiah thirty one four calls Christ a lion, Yahweh. It says. The uh, Yahweh, the Lion, will come and defend Zion. Also, also in Revelation five, write this down: five through fourteen. When we're looking at Christ, Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and this is the thing that man just—if if this doesn't make you emotional—in the Revelation, and we're going to get there next year. The Lion of Judah. All this is going on. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? We don't have anybody worthy to do what needs to be done. And then John sees in the revelation, he is worthy. He's worth, Here he is, the line of Judah. He's worthy 
of everything that needs to be done. And uh, he's referred to as the one who is worthy. Next, we see that Judah's um, permanent place in leadership is there because he uses things that are only used by a king, verse 10. And verse 10 can, can get a little complicated, but you see him saying the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That's a sign of a king, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And this is where it gets a little dicey. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The scepter, of course, and the leader's staff between the feet. This is a sign he will provide a royal leadership throughout the coming generations. Now, when you get into this tribute comes to him and and you get into the different English interpretations, you'll see the word shallow is used here in some of the interpretations. This simply means, and, and, and look, there's a lot of debate and argument about it, but I think the one that we can walk away and say, I think we... Some of them are outrageous. There's just no way that they would have any biblical stand. I love this term that I've learned. They would not withstand biblical scrutiny. But the one that does uh, is the one that all this is, is Jacob pointing again. You know, shallow means Messiah. All the nations uh, that Messiah reigns over all the people, and this is the most likely. But until Messiah comes is what he is saying here. Shallow until Shiloh comes, the Messiah, because you see in other scripture um, that, uh, that, mus- that, that Jesus and, is, and, and Messiah is called Shiloh, all nations will be reigned, I mean, will, will have Messiah reigning over them. So verse 10 is simply talking about Jesus. It's talking about the coming Messiah. And to make it more complicated than that is probably to drift a little. So let's let's just stay that we know that Judah is the line to Jesus. So it's most likely that everything he's talking about is saying this is where Messiah is coming from. So so be careful chasing some of these other uh, attempts to I think maybe, as Greg would say, try to be sharp. But it, but it really is kind of you're, you're kind of just trying to act like you know something that sounds deep when really it's probably just Messiah, and that's the most reliable. Uh, interpretation of that. And then you get into 11 and 12, and really all this is about 11 11 and 12 is talking about the beauty of Messiah. You know, and I love this, binding his foal to the vine. Now remember, in their culture, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because the donkey would eat it. So you wouldn't you wouldn't tie it off on a vine. What is he talking about? What is he, what does Jesus tell us in John 15? My my father is the vine dresser and I am the vine. What does he ride in on? A colt. Okay, do you see all this? This is all prophecy, all prophecy. And he's washed his garments in 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 wine. Uh, his his vesture is the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Remember, and you're gonna see this when we come back in January. Baby Jesus is over. Okay, lowly servant over. Wait till you see him in the Revelation. And this is what Jacob's talking about. Okay. It's okay to remember baby Jesus. It's okay to remember what the what the lowly servant uh, did for uh, the, to fulfill his father's will. Wonderful to remember those things, but what we don't do is keep him there because he's not there anymore. He's not on the cross. He's not in the manger. Okay, wait till you see him now, and that's coming in January. All right, so uh, so anyway, and by the way, that's that's the Jesus that's coming back. That's who's coming to get us. You're not you're not trembling in fear over seeing baby Jesus. 
are trembling. Uh, now, what you, you're going you're gonna to see him in his glorified self where he belongs. He's returned to his glory, and that's who's coming to get, get his church. And it's also going to be the one that's going to judge the world. Okay, so that that you, you probably want to be focused on who Jesus is now. Good to remember these things because you got to know why it matters, but that's not where he is now. Uh, so next he, he starts talking to the other son. Zebulun is next. Uh, and, and now this is a, a shift by, by Jacob, which throws a few. Now he gets him out of birth order. He, he takes Zebulun and moves him up a little bit, and he says, shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his brother shall be Sidon. That's not all that complicated. He's really just saying uh, that the, for the first time he's going to place him before Ish, Ishkar, which we have next. But he says, look, this tribe that you have, you're going to live by the sea. You're going to provide harbor for the ships. And then he goes next into uh, the last of Leah's sons, which is Ishkar in 14 and 15. And he said, Ishkar is uh, a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. What is he saying about Ishkar? He's saying they're going to be workers, they're going to be laborers, and um, and, and they're going to um, – this, this thing that he talks about here that looks like it's a little bit um, – uh, of a negative really isn't when he says crouching between the sheepfolds. He, he doesn't mean that as, as a negative. It's talking about between the saddlebags. Really, everything that he's talking about right now simply means that they will be workers and they will be laborers and they'll be a hard-working tribe, and that does turn out, because it's prophecy, to be absolutely true. So now we move into some of the sons of Jacob's concubines. We get into Dan. Dan shall judge his people. Uh, as one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. And then 18, all of a sudden Jacob stops and says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Just, this comes out of nowhere. He's like, all of a sudden he's, he's handing out all this prophecy on his sons, and he just stops and looks up and says, O Lord, I, 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 I can't wait for salvation. So why, why does this take place in... As you can imagine, there's a lot of common commentary on that. But let's get to what he said about Dan first. He's in the coveted seventh position. This may be why Jacob was moving the sons around, because he is mentioned uh, twice, Dan is, just like Judah. Now, Dan's tribe will be small, but they're going to play an important role in the history of Israel. Samson is is of the tribe of Dan, the judges. So, And he says, and they're going to be... Uh, vipers are going to be stealth. They're going to be small, but they're going to be stealth, and they can hold their own. And what's going to give them all this power? They're going to be judges. Okay? And then in 18, he stops addressing Dan and directly addresses God. This is likely speaking to the fact that they are a small nation, but God's going to deliver them. Hey, Dan's bunch is not going to be, they're going to have a lot of numbers. And, and, and God, I pray for your protection on them. I pray for your salvation. I pray that you deliver our nation which God is going to do. So in 19, he, he, he moves on, and he begins to talk uh, to uh, the, the first son uh, of, uh, of uh, Zipha. This was, you know, remember, this was one of the concubines. This is Gad, and here's what he says about, uh, about Gad. I, uh, he says, Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Now what he's talking about here is this bunch turns out to be some warriors, Okay. Uh, and, and, and they're going to set up uh, uh, east of the Jordan River, and that's going to make them susceptible to people raiding them and attacking them. But listen to this. It's only going to make them stronger. 
they become incredible warriors, and they become tough and hard to handle. Why? Because God put them somewhere they get attacked a lot. And he's and here's Jacob saying, y'all going to get ta- attacked a lot, but you're going to be able to rise up and defend yourself. So they became great, uh, great fighters. Now to Asher, Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. This isn't very complicated. This tribe is going to, uh, they're, they're going to be great at farming. They're going to be near the Mediterranean Sea. They will produce royal delicacies, and they will provide food for the people. It's, it's, it's no more complicated than that. Uh, and then uh, we get to... Uh, Naphtali uh, talking about is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. What's this all about? This is the last, by the way, of the of the kids of the concubines. Well, Naphtali um, is going to settle in the central upper part of, of the Sea of Galilee, west of it, west of the sea. And, and that area is incredibly beautiful. And if you've ever been there, I have. It is absolutely beautiful. And so this is where this tribe will be. And, and this reference to a wild doe and beautiful fawns is actually just saying that they're going to be in a beautiful place, and it's going to be a beautiful representation of what the promised land is going to look like. This is looking forward to the promised land. Uh, and so he, that's where Jacob spends time talking about the, the beauty of the place. So now we get down to Jacob talking about Joseph. And, and to no surprise there, this will be the longest of all the oracles uh, because you know the connection to Joseph and, and Jacob. And he says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a, a, a fruitful bough by, by a spring. Uh, his branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. I'd underline that. That's talking about all the suffering he went through from his own brothers. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the son, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you by, by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father and mighty beyond the blessings of my parents upon the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who set apart from his brothers. If the brothers ever thought that uh, dad still wondered, uh, wondered about dad thinking Joseph was special, they no longer have to be concerned about that. Uh, even with his final words, he's heaping blessings and love on Joseph. Um, and he is, um, he's compared uh, you know, to, to being a vine, if you see in the very, the very beginning, and, uh, and his success and blessings in the face of difficulty, meaning his life has not been easy. And you know, this is probably an uncomfortable moment for the brothers because now dad's revisiting it. And, uh, and this is going to lead to what's going to happen in 50, by the way. Uh, but so he's watching these blessings coming out, and really this whole oracle is just talking about the surpassing greatness and, and, and the bounty of blessings that he is asking God and prophesying that will be poured out on Joseph. Now, don't forget, at this point, Joseph's going to have two tribes, not one. He's already got a double because, remember, Jacob, in our last study, took Manasseh and Ephraim. He switched their birth order, and now he's made them his sons. So there's going to be two tribes that represent Joseph. And and this is, once again, you, you see Jacob is just pouring out blessing after blessing after blessing, and he even gets down in 24B and says that, that, that may, may the, the, the hands of the mighty one guide Joseph. And I look at this, from there is the shepherd. Who do you think the shepherd is? 
He's talking about Jesus, the shepherd. Uh, this is God being referred to as a shepherd again. On the second time this has happened in Scripture, the stone of Israel, may he protect him. And uh, he said, uh, the God of your father, he'll be with you. By the Almighty, he'll bless you with blessings from heaven above. A blessing no matter where you go, crouches beneath. Uh, you'll, be, you'll have blessings from the breast and from the womb and the blessings of your father. And it just goes on and on and on. And he says, may all this be on the head of Joseph. And, uh, and he says, and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers, meaning you're different than your brothers. And everybody knows it. So then we get to Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. Okay. Uh, in the morning, devouring the prey, and in the evening, dividing the spoil. This is interesting, since this was uh, his second favorite son, but it doesn't sound uh, as powerful as, as Joseph. But what he is saying is that Benjamin's tribe, and this was true, uh, will be a fierce wolf. His tribe will be aggressive. There'll be fighters in many battles. You talk about some skilled fighters. You don't want to mess with the tribe of Benjamin, and this is what Jacob is saying. They were so skilled, and you know, in those days, if you really wanted to, if if you wanted to give people difficulty, be able to use your left hand. And so you see that the Benjaminites, they were they were really skilled with their left hand or their right hand. They they could do either one, and and it made them very hard to kill. Uh, they were left-handed slingers, and and they were brave archers, and uh, and they were they were incredibly difficult to deal with. And, and this is more about, um, you know, looking at the future of, of the, when it says in, in, in the evening dividing the spoil. This is really looking ahead and uh, about what is to come. So, and then you get into verse 28. It says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is uh, what their father uh, said to them, and he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. This is all talking about the descendants going forward. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, and in the cave that is in the field uh, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from the Ephron the Hittite, uh, to possess it as a burying place. Remember all that? We went through that in Genesis. This is the place he's talking about. I want to be buried there. Uh, there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. They buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. We finally find out where Leah is. We knew that she had died before he got to, to Egypt. That was evident. We didn't really know what happened there. But now we know that, that Jacob buried her there. The field in the cave that is, uh, the, is where bought from the Hittites, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, and he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Jacob's final words, bury me in Canaan. And, and, and he says that um, uh, I want to be buried with these patriarchs. That's where I belong. Um, and and then he's, in this, this term in 33, he drew his feet back into the bed, never to sit back up, Gathered to his people. Gathered to his people is only used for three other people, Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac. And now it'll be used for Jacob. Uh, and, uh, and so th this means that I said what I'm supposed to say. I did what I'm supposed to do. I'm right with God. I've, I've prophesied over my sons, put my feet back in the bed, and I'm done. What a way to go. What a way to go. So let me ask you, and I'll ask myself this. 
Are you at the stage of your life you think you could pull your feet back into bed and say, I have no regrets, I'm good, I'm ready to go? I, I have I have instructed as I should instruct. I have prepared my my children. I have prepared my wife, and they're going to be fine without me. I don't have any regrets. All the problems I had throughout my life, I got that right with God, and I am now going to be gathered to my people, and everybody has got from me what they need. Are you sitting in this room or watching right now saying, I'd be terrified to die today because I'd leave a mess? I don't have I don't have anything in order. It, it must be a wonderful thing to be able to pull those feet back into bed, sit, lay back on your pillow, and say. It was a term that we had where I grew up because I grew up in a small town. Literally, I remember the first time I heard it. I, uh, uh, it, it was it was very common when we would be working labor, and a guy came up and said something about, "Hey, y'all heard what happened to Roy? Didn't you?" No, yeah, he went on in. Went on in. I, I just love that phrase. He went on in. My mom, my grandmother used to say they went into glory. Uh, so what? What? However you see that, that's what we just heard from Jacob. And then look what happens in fifty. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and he wept over him and he kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. First of all, embalming had not come a long way. 40 days it took to do this in, in those days. But the Egyptians were way ahead of everybody on how they did it, and Joseph knew that. So uh, Joseph uses his own doctors to embalm Jacob. The process, like I said, 40 days. And for the Egyptians to mourn Jacob for 70 days was an honor if you look, the historian said when they look back on their most beloved pharaohs, they would actually mourn a pharaoh for 72 days. So they, they took Jacob and put him just below a pharaoh uh, and mourned for him for 70 days. And, uh, and, and when you when, – when, so this, this is a great honor. He is going to embalm him, so he will, and you'll find out why because there's a reason for that. Uh, and then 4 through 14, and when the days of weeping for him were past – Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as, you made, as, you, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all in the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with, with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning on the threshing floor, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named, which means to grieve, beyond the Jordan. Um, Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them, 
for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave of the field to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess it as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt and with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. This really turns into a really big event. Um, you see that Jacob is being treated as Egyptian royalty. I mean, Pharaoh even sent all his people. I'm saying, hey, we're sending everybody, and we're going to go to where, uh, you know, you swore to your dad you would bury him, so you take him back there. This is an obedient son doing exactly what he told his father that he would do, and there was great lamentation made over Jacob. And, and it really reminds me when I hear that term and all the people in the Canaanite say, man, this must really have been something. They're watching what, what happens. It really reminds me of, of the, the message that comes out of the book of Acts when you look ahead to the church and, and, and you see the, the way Ananias and Sapphira were treated in the church when they blasphemed God and you saw Peter after God killed them uh, for lying about how uh, sacrificial they had been giving, and he 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 takes them out, and it says young men took them off and buried them. Just nameless young men, nobody knows who they are, and they just take their bodies off. But then you get to the stoning of Stephen uh, in Acts chapter 7 and 8, and you see in 8 after Saul watches the stoning of Stephen and the way Stephen was glorifying God, and Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. And here's what I want you to know about Stephen. Because you hear somebody like Jacob, and you know what you say? I'm not Jacob. I'm not one of the patriarchs that God is going to has, has been working his plan through. Uh, I'm not Joseph. I'm never going to be in power you know, in the, in the U.S. government you know, with the authority of the president. That's probably not going to happen to me. So I probably shouldn't expect such a burial. But you probably can be Stephen because you know what his job was? Food pantry. We need somebody to be sure the widows get the food they're supposed to get, and we're all teaching the apostles. We don't really have the time to do that. We need to put somebody in charge of this, and everybody said Stephen's perfect. He's full of grace. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of power. Okay? And, and, and so... They say he's the guy for it. So when he gets stoned, and all he did was stand for Jesus. That's all he did. And he called out that Jesus is who he says he is. There is no other name that anyone can be saved. I stand against the opposition. Now would be a good time to do that in this country. I stand against the opposition against the one and only living, one and only living God. I stand against the opposition that Jesus is Messiah. I will stand here. You can stone me. You can kill me. But I will not betray him. And I'm telling you, you need to repent. And he's the only one that can save you. And by the way, they're killing me. Will you please forgive them for what they're doing and not hold that against them? And Saul's watching this. And guess what it said, they said about Stephen? Great men of God buried Stephen and made much lamentation over him. Now, you may not be Jacob, but every one of us with the power of the Holy Spirit can be Stephen. Couldn't just anybody bury Stephen. And they made great lamentation over him, and he certainly wasn't a patriarch 
and he wasn't a king. He was in charge of the food pantry. So the next thing we see is the brothers realize daddy's dead now. Everybody's been getting along. Everything's been just fine. And you know what they think? Well, he'll kill us now. Now, He's been holding off until dad dies, and then he's going to kill us. But they don't approach him directly. Still got a lot of cowardice in them. So look what happens next. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a messenger. I think about my my daddy here, my earthly father, when he was um, fired by a university that he coached for. One of the things that infuriated my dad about that is that they sent a messenger. I remember my dad said, if the president of the university wants to fire me, he needs to come look me in the eye and he can fire me. I will not leave here. He needs to come face me. I remember one time we uh, we were fired by a station one time by fax machine as opposed to being faced. So so that here, here they are saying, we're going to send a messenger to say to Joseph, your father gave this command before he died, say to Joseph, please forgive, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin before they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So they send a messenger on this. Now, this is what's interesting, looking at some of the commentary with this. You know what's funny? Is many of the commentators think they fabricated the whole, fabricated the whole story about Jacob saying, don't, don't mess with them. No one knows whether Jacob really said that or not. Uh, then others say, well, he likely did. You could see some of the things he was saying to Joseph. It almost indicates that. But there is no record of the words from Jacob. But it is clear that Jacob knew what had happened. Even the blessing you saw Jacob, what he was saying to Joseph, shows he knows what happened to him. And it is possible he may have said this. He may have said, look, when I die, don't, don't use that as time to go back and pay your brothers back. Know what they did to you. You've forgiven them. Don't wait. Till I-. That may have happened. But we don't know that it happened, and there are some people that say it's possible these brothers just said, here's what we need to tell him, uh, is, uh, is that Daddy said not to harm us after he's gone. Now, we don't know whether that's true or not. but And, and so you can take his reaction one or two ways. What, look what happens. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So is he weeping because they're a bunch of liars? Is he weeping because he can't believe they would think he would do that? Likely the second. I don't know about the first. But, but he began to weep. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had somebody that you, that, that you thought and they had acknowledged that they knew you and they've spent years with you and, and they're not, they, they, could, they could be a spouse, it could be a family member, it could be a dear friend, and all of a sudden you see in them they doubt that you're going to do the right thing. You ever had yourself, and maybe it comes from pride, I don't mean for it to, but sometimes it comes from hurt, that you think, you think I'm capable of that? So all these years you've spent with me, and you really think that's what I'm going to do? You think that that would be what I would do? I refer to it as the benefit of the doubt. Now, you may find out that I've messed up real bad, and I did exactly what everybody said that I did. But ask me first. Come to me. Hopefully I haven't let you down. 
but give me the benefit of the doubt on the way that I've lived my life. You know, maybe say this, that doesn't really sound like Rick, but I'll go ask him. Hey, hey Joseph's going to get y'all now. Guys, has Joseph shown any, shown any sign he's going to get us? How many more times has he got to forgive us? But they still send the messenger, and they still want to be reassured, and that's possible that that leads to the weeping. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Smart. Smart. They're saying, Look, we're not going to tell you what we're not going to do now that daddy's gone. Is that like we're not your servants? We said we were your servants. We are your servants. We realize that you're in charge, and it's going to be your grace and your grace only that we're going to be okay. By the way, do you do realize that's the position we're in, right? It's God's call, and we're his servants, and we repent and say, you and you alone can forgive me because I can't fix it. You, you're the only, you have the right to, to kill me, and I even deserve for you to kill me. But I thank you for being gracious. I thank you for being merciful. So here, here we see, remember, uh, Joseph is a type of Christ that we find in the Old Testament. And then uh, Joseph says to them, you've probably heard this a lot, but let's really unpack it before we leave today. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? This is important, everybody. What Jesus tell us? Do not deny grace to people that I did not deny you. You may not want to give somebody grace that has asked for your forgiveness. But you know what you better say? I can't take the place of Jesus. And Joseph said that. What am I going to do? Take the place of God right now? I'm not God. So look at this. As for you, you meant evil against me. I acknowledge that. Y'all didn't like me. Y'all hated me for whatever reasons you may use. You did this because it was hateful. And it was evil. That was why you did it. But watch this. But but God. Remember we talked about that? The but gods throughout Scripture, are they not wonderful? Can somebody say amen to that? But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So what are you saying, Joseph? I'm saying that this suffering I went through, God allowed it. Because without it, we wouldn't be where we are. And, and I wouldn't be able to save you. I wouldn't be able to protect you. I think about, and we all got them in our own lives, I, I, I think about how many times, I had an example of this yesterday, how many times I've had God allow me, and he could have just said, you know, trust me, but he's so merciful and gracious. How many times in the last 14 years I have seen directly that the earthly death of my two-and-a-half-year-old son has been used to accomplish things that were not going to be accomplished any other way. And I knew that the adversary in this fallen creation, that, the, the, that what was meant is for my son to be killed so we would turn away from God. But God knew that he would allow it because he knew that it would turn us to God and it would strengthen us in a way, I saw doctors come to Christ. I saw paramedics come to Christ. I have seen this, 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 this. It's unbelievable. All the way to the point yesterday, a guy who just lost his 16-year-old son says, I need you to tell me what to do next. And you know what? I said, I know what to tell you. And you know what he said after it was over? I, I, all this has been given to me. I, I, I couldn't. 
here, here's 14 years of this, and I'm just getting started. That's what I needed. So, yeah, I mean, things in your life may be meant for evil, and they might even be evil. But you serve a God that is working out a plan, and you know what you need to say? I'm not God. Who am I to say, don't do this to me? Because what he's doing may be for my benefit, and it might be for the benefit of other people. Right? So then look what he says next. And you think this didn't feel good? So do not fear. You, you, if you're worried about me taking vengeance on you. Now listen to the chills that are running over my body right now. We stand before a holy God who has every right and is justified in killing us. And Jesus steps in and says, don't be afraid. Those of you that are under my protection and the suffering that I did, I've got you covered. So don't be afraid. Even though you deserve punishment, there's no need to worry about that because it's not coming. And what did the Apostle Paul say? Those of us that are redeemed, we will not receive the wrath of God. Now, if you're unredeemed, that's a different game. But those of us that are redeemed, we will not see the wrath of God. So do not fear. Joseph said, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. Hey, does, does that require supernatural? Think about everything these brothers did to them, and now you be Joseph. Would, your, would you be sitting there right now going, I'll tell you what my next move is, is to comfort them. And dad's gone. He really could do whatever he wants to, but he's not answering to his earth, earthly father anymore. That's true. But guess who he is answering to? His heavenly father. And he knows what God's doing. And he understands why he's doing it. That's what drives me crazy when people say sometimes we don't know why. That's just not so. We may not know every intricate detail, but why do we seem so surprised by suffering? I don't understand it. When the scriptures talk about it all the time, you actually do know why. Here's one. Joseph said, I'll tell you why I went through it so I could save y'all. Paul says, I'll tell you why I'm suffering to keep me humble. Oh, I'll tell you why you're suffering, so it will refine you and make you more steadfast in your faith. I'll tell you why you're suffering, First Peter, to test the genuineness of your faith. So where do we get off always saying something we don't know why? I think what we're really saying is, I don't know Scripture. Because the Bible's not silent on this. And, and here it is again. So Joseph remained in Egypt, and he, he and his father's house... Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. He also saw uh, he, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. Remember, Jacob talked about that. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of the land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac. And I love how he refers to his dad just by one of his names, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Look at 26. 
So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So the end of it all is really pretty simple as we end this study of, of uh, Genesis. They considered the Egyptian culture considered 110 years to be perfect. And 110 years was it. Apparently, some of the brothers, based on what we see in 24 and 25, did outlive Joseph because they've been told to carry, you'll need to carry my bones uh, with you. And by the way, Moses is going to make sure that happens because those bones stay there a little while, but we go get them, okay? And uh, his age is stated again. He's embalmed and put in a coffin, and guess what he's, his bones and his body does in that coffin? Just simply waits on God's promise to be fulfilled. And God does fulfill his promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, it, I don't. I, there's all. There's some emotion just r- rushing over us in this room because we've been in Genesis, Lord, for a year. We've been coming in here, and and so many, so many of these men. I mean, they they may have missed one percent. I mean, things happen in, in our lives, and we can't always be here. But even when they're not here, they go and they catch the archive, and their devotion to studying Your Word, Lord, is very encouraging and moving to me. And I thank you for these men. I thank you for those that, that watch, and uh, I thank you for those that, uh, that listen uh, all over the world. I rebuke those who try to attack this study, and I pray that you deal with them, Lord, and that you remove them from any comments that are unfounded and are, are accusatory. Uh, but, Lord, we know you said don't hide away from the world, so we take this out to the world, and, and the world doesn't really like you. Uh, and because we're not worthy enough for them not to like us, what they don't like is you. And Lord, so I pray that you continue to protect uh, those that are that are that they're infants to their faith, or maybe they're seeking. Don't let them be confused and harmed by the evil comments or attacks from others. And I pray, Lord, and, and rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray if those today say, "Look, I've been through this study." I see this. I see everything the Lord is saying. And I can't really say, Rick, that if I stood before a holy God, I can't say that I would not receive his wrath because I don't know Jesus. I've never repented of my sin. I'm not even sure I understand what that is. That means to turn from your sin. And then Scripture tells us that we leave faith in ourselves and we place our faith in Jesus. We, we submit to his authority. We say he's now our Lord. We repent, which means to turn away from our sin. We turn to Jesus. We submit to his authority. We confess that he is now our Lord. And we believe it in our heart. We confess it with our mouth that he paid the price for our sin and and, and that he and he alone was raised from the dead on the third day. He has paid the price for my sin, and he has defeated my earthly death. And, and, and if, we, if I can help you walk through that or you don't understand that, you can just reach out to me, rick at burgessministries.com. I'll be more than happy to talk to you. Lord, go with us as we take this next step. And in and, and this time of rest, Lord, I thank you for that. But prepare us for what you have for us next. And if it is your will that we are allowed to study the Revelation, bring us back on January the 4th ready to go. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.